Hallelujah. As always, it's so good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. You can go ahead and put up my first slide for those of you who uh, haven't been with us for a while. We're still on the spiritual disciplines, but last week we began our teaching on the spiritual discipline of worship. Before we go any further, we're going to go ahead and pray. Just ask that the King be with us tonight. Amen. That I get anointed and that you get anointed as well. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are in this place. I thank you, Father God, that uh, when we seek your face, something truly miraculous happens in our lives. We thank you, Father God, that when we open up our heart and worship, something happens in our lives. So, God, I pray that we would learn to not only worship you with our mouth, Father God, which we have done tonight, but that, Father, we would learn to worship you with all of our heart, that we would learn to worship you, Father God, in every single area of our life. God, I pray that your anointing would be upon us tonight. Father God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to give me the words that I need this evening. I pray, God, that you would give me the tongue of the learned, that I would speak a word in season and be able to bring hope to the listener. I pray, God, that you would open up the ears of everyone that's here this evening, give them ears to hear, hearts to listen, and the courage to respond to your presence tonight. God, I come against every hindering spirit, every distracting spirit, anything that would try to, God, distract us or keep us from receiving your word with gladness tonight. And let every word find a place in the fertile soil of our soul so that we might bear fruit that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Zach, for leading us into the presence of God. How many of you know it's just so much easier to receive the Word once you've worshipped the Lord? Amen? Amen. Like I said last week, we began our teaching on the discipline of spiritual discipline of worship. Like I've said in the past, if we want to have the purpose of spiritual discipline fulfilled in our lives, which is godliness, like we've learned, then our lives have to be as much filled with worship as they are filled with the Word of God and with prayer. Amen? The reality is the level of our spiritual maturity, the level of our righteousness, the level of our godliness and holiness will be directly determined by how much of these spiritual disciplines we practice in our lives, including the discipline of worship. Last week I shared with you the words of Jesus spoken to Satan in Matthew chapter 4 verse 10 when he said to Satan himself, you must worship the Lord God and serve him alone. And what I want you to remember church as before even we get going is that spiritual discipline is not an option to godliness. Spiritual discipline is not an option to spiritual maturity or righteousness or holiness in our lives. Jesus said in the Word, or the Word of God tells us uh, that we not only must we study regarding to the, the Word of God, not only must we study to show ourselves approved, not only does the Word of God say that we are to devote ourselves to prayer concerning those two disciplines that we talked about earlier, but Jesus himself said that you must worship the Lord and serve Him alone. You see, the truth is, and the fact of the matter is, we can elect not to read the Word of God. We can elect not to pray. We can elect not to worship. We can elect not to highly esteem the Lord or to magnify that name, which is above every name. We can elect, as each individual, uh, to withhold that thing which belongs only to God, and that is worship. But if you want to acquire godliness... 
If you want to acquire a level of holiness that, that the Word of God talks about, if you, wanna, if you want to acquire a, a level of righteousness, church, if you want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ in your life, then not only must you pray, not only must you read the Word of God, you also must worship. You must exercise the spiritual discipline of worship in our lives or in your life. Now, the thing that I want to focus on tonight, so often we think that worship is only what we've done this evening. So often we think worship is nothing more than coming to church and singing a song or driving down the road and singing a song and lifting a hand and just from the abundance of our heart, our mouth worship. But worship is so much more than singing a song with with our lips. True worship is singing a song with our life. And what we're going to look at tonight are some individuals that worship God with their life. They obviously and absolutely worship God with their lips and worship God with their mouth. And from the abundance of their heart, their mouth gave worship to God. But I want to focus on several instances where a life worshiped God. You see, God, amen, what God wants us to do is to not just limit our worship to the times you come into the house of God or the times that you're alone in a prayer closet or the times that you're listening to some music riding down the street. Yes, he wants those things in your life, but God wants you to worship in every area of your life. He wants you to worship at the workplace. He wants you to worship in your marriage. He wants you to worship in your fatherhood and in your motherhood and in your parenting. He wants you to worship on the campus. He wants you to worship in the carpool. And we have to do that by more than lip service. We have to do that with our life. And that's kind of what we're going to look at as we go. But I want you to remember that Jesus even reminded Satan that it was his duty to worship. And I want to remind all of us that are here tonight that it is our duty to worship the Lord and to serve him only. To reserve worship for the only one that is worthy, and that is the Lord God Almighty. We can never forget, church, especially in this self-centered society, that God is the potter and we are the clay. We can never forget, church, uh, that... That worshiping God is allowing God to mold us. Worshiping God is allowing God to break us. Worshiping God is allowing God to mold us and form us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. True worship, church, is allowing God to put us on the potter's wheel and conform our lives into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what true worship is all about. It is recognizing the fact that God is the potter and I am and the clay. You see, what happens is so often, what does the Bible tell? The, the, the vessel wants to tell the maker how to make us. Uh, I, I know you've all been there because I've been there myself. There's been times in my life where I want to tell the maker how to make me. I want to tell the maker how to form me. I want to tell the maker what to, to, what to make me into. And anytime I do that, I am not worshiping God. Anytime that I put my will above the will of the Father, I'm not worshiping God. Anytime I tell God what to do in my life instead of allowing God to do whatever he wants to in my life, I'm not worshiping. But when you yield to the Father, you're worshiping God. When you commit to the Father, you're worshiping God. When you surrender to the Father, you're worshiping God. When you say to the Lord in prayer or anytime, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I want you to do it. That is what worship is all about. Worship is the surrender of our soul to the Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, Romans 12, 1. You know, you all know the verse. 
that we are to offer ourselves a living sacrifice to God. That, the Bible says, is our reasonable or it's our spiritual service of worship. I want you to understand that when you yield yourself to the Father, you're worshiping Him. I want you to understand that when you take yourself to the altar of God and say, God, break me and make me and mold me and fashion me, you are worshiping the Lord. It's so much more than singing, church. David said in Psalm 95, 6, Come, let us bow down in worship. He said, Let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. You see, David, in the same way, recognized who made him. David recognized who was the potter and who was the clay. David recognized who was in charge and who wasn't. David recognized who was worthy and who wasn't worthy. David recognized that there was only one individual that needed to have his life changed, and it was him, not God. There was only one mind that needed to be changed. It was his and not God's. There was only one heart that had to be changed, and it was his and not God's. David said, come and let us bow down in worship. And what we need to understand, church, is that when we come into the house, or when we come into the presence of Elohim, the Creator God, when we come into the house, or we come into the presence of the Lord God, our Maker, the One who gave us life, we cannot forget our role, and our role is to bow down in worship. Our role as the vessel, our role as the created being, our role as the sons and daughters of the Most High God Church is to bow down in worship, is to have an attitude of humility and an attitude of awe and an attitude of reverence whenever, whenever we come into the presence of the Lord. And that's not reserved for just here. Whenever you decide to enter into the presence of the Lord, you need to bow down in humility and you need to bow down in reverence and you need to bow down understanding that there is an awe. You and I always have to understand that our role as a Christian, our role as the created individual is to bring something of value and something of worth into the presence of the Lord. We always have to bring, I talked about it last week and I'm not going to repeat it, I'm just touching on it, that we always have to bring something of worth into the presence of the Lord. David said bow down because bowing down is a demonstration of humility. Kneeling, church, is a demonstration of our submission and subjection to the authority of God in our lives. You know all about kings and you know all about subjects and you know all about those medieval times. Whenever a subject came into the presence of the king, they had to bow down. Whenever a subject came into the presence of royalty, a king or a queen or anyone in higher authority to them, they had to bow down. They had to recognize their role. And you and I need to understand our role. When we come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it is to bow down our heart in worship. It is to recognize the authority of God in our lives. It is our, our role is to say, you are God and I am not. You are King and I am not. We are His subject. 
We need to always understand that, especially when we come into the house of God. When we come into the presence of God, we can't just come strolling in like he's some sugar daddy in the sky that's going to give us every single little thing that we need. We need to understand that he is God Almighty and that when we come into his presence, we must enter in with awe. The Bible tells us that we need to watch our steps when we come into the house of God because this is a holy place. This is an anointing place. This is the dwelling place of the Most High God. And when we come into this place, we need to come. Listen, I'm not saying that we got to get down on our knees and crawl in every time, but our heart has to be humbled. Our heart has to be bowed down. Our heart has to recognize how much we need God. Has to be humble. When we come before the Lord and this is what this is what the spiritual discipline of worship is all about. David said bow down in worship because it is a demonstration of our submission and subjection to the king of kings and lord of lords. It means that we always have to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift us up. Amen. Because the humbling of ourselves, the bowing of our heart recognizes God as greater than oneself. Humility puts God where he belongs and puts us where we belong as well. You see, humility puts God on the throne of our heart and humility puts us at the foot of the cross. That's the only place that we belong. We believe we belong at the foot of the cross, receiving mercy and receiving grace. We belong at the foot of the cross, receiving from a from a, a, a gracious God, those things that we don't even deserve, like I've talked about in the past. But that's why David said, bow down in worship. He said, he didn't say bow down and worship. He said bow down in worship because it comes from the heart. It doesn't come just from the lips. If, if David would have said bow down and worship, he would have been just talking about singing. He would have just been talking about something that comes from your lips. But David was talking about bowing down in our heart and offering unto God that which cost us more than nothing. He was the same one that said, I'm not going to offer unto God that which cost me nothing. I'm not going to offer God some cheap sacrifice, some recycled rubbish. I'm not going to come into the house of God and give him the same stuff that I gave him last week. I'm not going to come into the house of God and give him the same present that I gave him last year. I'm going to come into the house of God and give him everything that I have. I know I talked about it last week, but the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that when we come into His presence, we got to come with a fresh gift. We got to come with a fresh song of praise. We got to come with a fresh attitude and a fresh heart, a fresh sense of humility, a fresh reverence and a fresh awe of who He is. So often we get caught in this recycled junk. We just, we allow ourselves to come in and offer God the same old thing that we give Him every single time and think that's enough. It's not. That kind of worship is in vain. That kind of worship is empty. That kind of worship I'm going to talk about in just a little bit, but we've got to humble ourselves. Listen, that's part, that's the hardest part about worship is the surrender and the submission. That's what worship is. It, it, it puts God in his rightful place and it puts us in our rightful place. But that's the hardest part about worship because none of us like to do that. 
None of us like to surrender. None of us like to give up. None of us like to, to, to let God have it all. I mean, that's the way the, the, the natural carnal being is that wants to be in charge, wants to do its own thing, wants to accomplish its goal, wants to do its will, wants to do what's right in its own eyes instead of the eyes of God. That's the hardest part about worship, the surrender and the submission, because far too often we crave the praise. Far too often, church, we crave the glory and we crave the honor and we crave the, the dominion and the power and the prestige and the position. Too often we, we, we crave the, the pat on the back and we crave all of those things that really belong to God. So often we're the glory hounds, church, who want for ourselves only what belongs to God. And when that's us, we're just like Lucifer. I told you last week, it's exactly what Lucifer wanted. He wanted for himself what only belonged to God. He withheld for himself that thing that he was to give to his creator, Elohim. And so often we're that glory hound that wants it all for ourselves, And we're not going to give it to God. If that's us, we're not true worshipers. If that's us, we have not, we have not experienced or put into practice this spiritual discipline of worship. In Psalm 95, church, 6. David was letting us know that without humility of heart, without a bowing of the heart, worship is in vain. It's empty. It's powerless. It means nothing. Jesus himself said in Matthew 15, verses 8 to 9, these people, they honor me with their lips. He said, these people, they, they pay tribute to me with their lips. He said, these people, they, they, they extol me with their lips and they, they lift me up with their lips and they, they put me in this high place with their lips. But he goes on and he says, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are detached from me. Their hearts are, are distant from me. Their hearts are cold toward me. Their hearts aren't focused on me. Their hearts aren't bowed down before me. Their hearts aren't filled with humility. And that kind of heart, Jesus said, brings forth nothing but vain worship. He said their worship is in vain. And I want you to understand exactly what Jesus is saying because the English, the English language is a little hard. You know, you can't, you can't express it like the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic. And what he was saying here, what Jesus was saying is these people, the ones who confess to love me, these people... He was categorizing a group of people, these people who say they love me, these people who confess to know me, these people who confess to serve me, these people who, who confess to have a, a relationship with me. They are worshiping me to no avail. They are worshiping me to no end. They are worshiping me, he said, with no success, with no result, and with absolutely no fruit. This is what Jesus was saying. Their worship is absent and empty of any value. They worship me in vain. And the saddest reality is, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, week after week, people come into the house of God and they worship Him in vain. They worship Him to no end. They worship Him to no avail. They think if I sing a song, I'm worshiping and connecting to God. When they don't understand what worship is all about, they don't understand that worship has to go from here out there. They, need, they have forgotten that, that, that you can't turn worship on when you walk onto South Metro property and turn it off when you hop back in the car. You can't, you can't turn it off and light up and drink up and think you're going to worship God. You, you can't walk out the door and sleep around and do all these other things and think you're going to still worship God. You can't party on, on Saturday night and think you're going to come in and worship on Sunday. 
You can't sleep around Saturday night. Think you're going to worship on Sunday. You can't. That's not true worship. It's false worship. It's false fire. It stinks in the nostrils of God. We need to understand what worship is all about. We have this limited mentality that worship is simply a song that I sing with my mouth. And if you get anything tonight, the Holy Spirit wants you to know that you must be a living vessel of worship. You've got to worship. You've got to worship the Lord in every single area of your life. When it comes to communicating with your spouse, you've got to demonstrate worship. When it comes to raising up your children, you've got to demonstrate worship. When it comes to your workplace, when it comes to your neighbors, when it comes to every area of your life, financially, your business, you've got to worship God in every area of your life. If you don't, The Bible tells us that we are false worshipers. And we need to be careful of that church. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, like I touched on last week, worship has got to come from a humble heart that is focused on God. The reality is, any of us, I've been there myself. Any of us can come into the house of God. Any of us can sit through an entire hour and a half service or two hour service and be focused on the choir or be focused on the musicians or focused on the pastor or focused on on uh, the staff or focused on everyone around us and never be focused on God. You can sit through an hour and a half, two hour service. There could be some people here tonight that are listening to me preach, but they're not focused on God. You can have, you can come into the house of God. I've been there myself. I'm focused on the place that I'm going to go eat when the pastor finally shuts up and I can get out of here. I focus on something. Focused on the heartaches and the headaches that you've had all throughout the week. But you're not focused on God. So every song you sing is in vain. Every clap, every dance, every shout, everything you do, unless you are focused on God, that worship is in vain. This is what Jesus is teaching. This is what the Word of God teaches, that we must be focused on God. That's what worship does. It focuses on God, and it responds appropriately. It focuses on God, and it recognizes God, and then it responds appropriately. Worship is what a certain woman did in Luke chapter 7, verse 38. It's what a certain woman did in Luke 7, 38, when she recognized the love of God and then responded by washing his feet with her tears and then drying his feet with her hair. Worship church is what she did when she recognized the beauty of the feet of him who brought good news. And then she busted open an alabaster box filled with costly perfume And poured it upon those beautiful feet that brought good news into her life. She never said a word, but she worshipped. She never spoke a single sentence, but she worshipped. I want you to understand that worship is so much more than words. Because there's a man that spoke words in that same exact story. Jesus was sitting around the table of the man called Simon who invited him to his house for dinner. And it's there where this woman from the city came in and began to worship Jesus. This man sitting at the table that invited Jesus began to murmur in his heart. I don't know if he spoke a word, but the Bible says Jesus knew what he was thinking. And in the middle of this guy's grumbling, he said, what is she doing? And she's wasting the money. Tell her to stop and rebuke her. This is what was going on in her mind. Jesus stopped them and said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. I've got something to say to you. 
And he said, I want you to know, Simon, that ever since I came into your house, when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. But this lady, this woman from the city, she washed my feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair. I want you to know, Simon, that when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't wrap your arms around me. You didn't love on me. But this woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came into this house. I want you to know, Simon, that this woman from the city, and we don't even have a name because it could be any one of us. I want you to know, Simon, that this woman didn't anoint my, or you, Simon, didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't pour anything of cost or value upon me, but this woman broke open an alabaster jar which contained her life savings, and she poured it out on me. You see, I want you to understand that worship is recognizing God and responding appropriately. Worship is recognizing God and pouring out something of value upon the one that died for you, upon the one that hung on a cross for you, uh, uh, pouring out uh, all of your affection, everything you have upon the one who sent his only begotten son. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that woman worshipped and never spoke a word. She worshipped the Lord. Worship, church, recognizes God and responds appropriately. Worship is what the woman at the well did in John chapter 4 verse 28. When she recognized the fullness of God through Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that when she recognized the one that satisfied the thirsty... When she recognized the one who filled the hungry with all good things, read the story, she left her water jug behind. The things she came looking for, she no longer had any need for because she recognized the one that could meet every need that she had according to his riches in glory. She recognized him and she responded accordingly. I want you to know that not only did she leave her water jug behind, she left her old way of living behind. She left her fifth uh, man behind. Unsaved man behind Jesus said look I know you got a lot of husbands in your life and the one that you're with now is not even your husband She left her old life behind She worshiped the Lord church by responding She recognized who he was she recognized God and she responded accordingly She recognized church the one whose grace was sufficient The one who satisfies the thirsty and she left her water jug behind and the Bible says she went back to the city and she couldn't shut up. She testified to everyone around what Jesus did in her life. You see, this is another way that we worship. If you don't have a testimony, if you're not telling testimony, if you can't go out and tell the world what God has done for you, you're missing out on worship. You're not really worshiping God because giving a testimony is worship to the Lord. It testifies of his goodness. It testifies of his grace. It testifies of his power. If you want to worship God. Get out of your comfort zone and start selling somebody about Jesus Christ. You want to you wanna really worship? Go talk to your boss. Go talk to your neighbor. Go talk to your family member. Tell them all about the love of Jesus Christ. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that when you do that, it's like kissing the feet of Jesus. Because you recognize the beauty of the feet who him, of him who is willing to carry good news. That could be you. That could be me. This is how we worship church. Worship is so much more than singing a song. Like I said, worship. And I hope you all understand this one and get this one. Worship is what the woman caught in adultery did. 
when she recognized the mercy and grace of God. We don't know much about this woman, except the Bible says that she got up and she went and sinned no more. You see, what you need to understand is that she worshiped through obedience. Jesus told her to do something and she obeyed. She worshiped with her life. Prior to that moment, she was rebelling against God. Prior to that moment, she was living for herself. Prior to that moment, she was out having adultery. Prior to that moment, she was living in sin. Prior to that moment, she was grieving the heart of God. Prior to that moment, she was not worshiping. But when Jesus said to her, go and sin no more, and she got up and changed her life and changed her ways, she worshiped God with her life. And this is what God wants for us as well. We don't hear a story. If you really study her, you find out that she went on to serve the Lord, close to the Lord, be with the Lord. This is what you need to understand, that we worship God with our life, church, not just with our words. Worship another one. Worship is what the woman with the issue of blood did when she recognized the power of God in her presence. And I hope you understand when we come into the house of God, we should recognize his power. When we come into the house of God and the temple of God, we should recognize his power and respond accordingly. We should respond just like this lady did. She recognized the power of God in her presence. And what did she do? She pressed through the crowd. She pressed through the ridicule. She pressed through the the pain and the persecution. And she even pressed through the past. And she bowed down in humility and in faith. And she touched the hem of God's garment. You see, this is another form of worship. There's a whole lot of people, and maybe some of you here tonight, that need to press through your pain in order to worship God. There's some of you in this house that are allowing your past, allowing failures, allowing all sorts of things that have not worked out in your life to keep you from worshiping God. This woman pressed through all of it, and by faith, she bowed down in worship and touched God. Faith, demonstrating faith, is worshiping God. It is recognizing his worth. It is recognizing his authority. It is recognizing his power. When we grumble, when we complain, when we, when we walk around in fear, we walk around in doubt, when we are troubled and plagued by anxiety and we do not let God take rightful place upon the throne of our heart, when we do not allow the peace of God to rule and reign in our lives, we are not worshiping. If your life is being lived in fear and turmoil, if your life is being filled with all sorts of struggles and all sorts of heartache, and you, and you just are a mess all the time, you're not a true worshiper. You're not a true worshiper because God, we demonstrate our worship through faith, pressing through whatever we gotta press through in order to touch the power of God in our life. That's how we worship. The saddest part is sometimes we come into the house of God and we spend two minutes, we sing two songs, we spend five seconds in prayer and uh, that's enough. I guess I'm not going to have a breakthrough. I guess I, God doesn't love me. I guess God doesn't hear me. I guess God doesn't care about my situation or my circumstance. I guess God's not powerful today. And we stop worshiping. We don't press on and we don't press through. You see, you need to understand this woman with the issue of blood. She shouldn't have even been outside. She was unclean. She was dirty. She should have been in her house. Everything she touched, anyone she came in contact with, became unclean. She was rejected by her husband. She was all alone. Everything she tried previously wasn't any good, but she worshipped. This is how we worship. We worship when we understand that there's only one person, one person that can do what no other man can do. 
She tried everything else. She tried all kinds of quacks, all kinds of doctors, but she came to a place and said, I'm going to worship God through faith and I'm going to trust that he can do and will do what no other man can do. And what did she find? She found healing for her body. She found her father's power released into her life because she worshiped. And you and I need to do the same thing. I'm telling you, some of you here tonight need to let go of your past. Because if you're harboring bitterness, if you're harboring resentment, if you're harboring thoughts of failure, if you're, you're harboring anything that would prevent you from uh, giving to God what he is worthy of, you're not a true worshiper. And God wants us to worship him in every area of our life. So I hope that you grasp that church. Too many individuals are allowing their past to stand in the way of worshiping God. Holding on to the past. We need to let go. In Luke 24, I want to continue to move on. We've talked about some women. But in Luke 24, when the two thieves were hanging on a cross beside Jesus, I want you to understand. Listen, write this down if you don't write down anything else before I even say this. Worship, I've said it, but worship is recognizing God and responding accordingly. If you don't get anything else tonight, I want you to get that. Because in every situation of your life, if you would just stop and focus on God, if you would just stop and recognize God, something miraculous will happen in your life. You cannot see God and not respond. You cannot come in contact with His glory and His presence and His power and not react. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But I said that to tell you this. In Luke 24, when the two thieves were hanging on a cross beside Jesus, one recognized Christ's innocence. And he responded appropriately. The other man cast insults instead. You read it yourself, church. One man recognized his own guilt before the Lord. The other was not willing to confess. One man hung there and... and when you licks it, this is what happens. When you really recognize God, you see how filthy you are. When you look at the purity of God and you see the holiness and the righteousness of God, you all of a sudden see your need for God. This is what happened on the cross. This is what happened at Golgotha. One criminal on this side recognized God, recognized his need for a savior. When he recognized God, he recognized his sin. When he recognized the purity of God, he recognized his impurity. When he recognized the holiness of God, he recognized that he was a mess. When he, when he recognized God, he recognized his need for God. And he responded accordingly. He said, Father, I want you to, Jesus, remember me when you go to the Father. He did confess his sin because he spoke the one man's hurling insults. The other guy's hurling insults the whole time, cursing at Jesus, making fun of Jesus, mocking Jesus, not recognizing who Jesus really was. And the one man, he said, we're guilty. But this man hanging in the cross, this man in the middle, he's done nothing. He's innocent. He's done nothing to deserve what he's receiving. We've, we've done everything to deserve what we're receiving. So he recognized his guilt because he recognized God and he responded appropriately. The other guy, church, listen, the other cursed God and he simply died. One received life because he responded appropriately. One received death because he responded inappropriately. 
And this is what you need to understand. Worship puts God where he belongs and it puts us where we belong as well. One of those was not willing to do that. One worshiped, the other didn't worship. The truth is, church, we can sing a hundred songs and never recognize God. The truth is that we can sing from the red back hymnal that's behind every single one of those pews and never put God where he belongs. We can shout and we can clap and we can dance and we can do all these other things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do them, but we can do all of that stuff and still not put God where he belongs. And that is on the throne of our heart. We can go through all the motions every single week and never make our way to the foot of the cross. That's what worship is, church. It recognizes God and it responds appropriately. The truth is every single Sunday, churches are filled with these people that Jesus spoke of. Those who honor God with their lips, those who pay tribute with their lips, those who extol them with their lips, but whose hearts are far away from them. And I don't want that to be me, church. I want my worship to be more than lip service. I want my worship to be more than just words that come out of my lips. I want it to come from the abundance of my heart. And the only way that's going to happen is if I focus on God. I got to focus on God at my workplace, which is here. You've got to work, work, focus on God at your workplace. Wherever God leads us, we've got to focus on him because if we don't, we cannot worship church. So often we can come into the house of God with our hearts set on the things of this world. We can come into the house of God with our hearts set on pride and lust and greed. We can come into the house of God with our hearts set on discouragement and disappointment and the failures of the week and the frustrations of the week and all of the, the things that didn't go right during the week. Some things might not be sin. But it can keep us from focusing on God. Listen to me, church. Why do you think the devil throws so much hell into your life? Why do you think he throws so much trouble into your life? It's to get your eyes off of God. Because listen to me. The devil knows that when you focus on God, the devil knows that when you focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, something is going to happen in your soul. He knows. He, he knows and he understands that when that person begins to, to recognize the power of God, when they begin to recognize Elohim, the Creator God, when they begin to recognize Jehovah Jireh, His provider, when they begin to recognize Jehovah Rapha, the God who healeth thee, when they begin to recognize, listen to me, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God whose grace is sufficient for you, whether you got no money in the bank or a thousand dollars in the bank. When you begin to recognize El Ra'ah, the, 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 the Lord who is my shepherd, the one who leads you beside still waters, the one who causes you to lie down in green pastures, the one that anoints your head and causes your cup to overflow. When you recognize God, something happens in the soil of your soul. And the devil doesn't want you to see God. Because he knows when you do, something's going to happen. He knows that when you do, woo, something's going to break loose. A wall's going to come down. A blockade's going to be tipped over. A miracle's going to take place in your life. So he'll throw hell your way to get your eyes off the maker and the giver of life. He knows that as soon as you see God, the battle's over. Do you understand what I'm saying? The devil realizes as soon as you recognize the power of God that can turn your situation around, he's lost. He's lost. And this is, amen. This is what we have to understand, church. Worship is focusing on God and responding to him appropriately. 
Worship is what Job did in Job chapter 1. When his whole life fell apart in one day, and pastors preached on that, I guess, the last couple Sundays. One, I wasn't here. But worship is what he did when his whole life fell apart. Listen, he lost all of his sons, all of his daughters. Lost all of his livestock. Lost all of his sources of income. He lost every piece of real estate. He lost his business. He lost everything. He even lost his health. He lost all of this, and yet he worshiped the Lord. Because listen to me, if you're going to go through your life focused on the trouble, you're not going to worship. If you go through your life focused on the heartache and focused on the headache and focused on the trouble and focused on the troublemaker and focused on the one that said this and the one that did that and the one who didn't this and the one who didn't that, you're not going to worship God. Listen to me. I want you to understand you and I are going to worship someone. And when you when you focus on the problem, guess who you're worshiping? The problem. When you're focused on the storm, guess who you're worshiping? The storm. When you're focused on the, the, the loser husband, guess why you're worshiping? The loser husband. When you're focused on all of those things that the devil's throwing your way, guess who you're worshiping? It's not God. It's not God. And that's why you don't have victory in your life. Because you're focused on the wrong things. But when you focus on God... When you focus on God in the middle of all of that stuff, guess who wins the war? Guess who wins the battle? I want you to understand that, church. When Job's wife said, why not curse God and die? Job said, naked I came into this world, naked I will go. He said, I came into this world with no clothes on my little body, and I'm going to go out of this world with no clothes on my body. He said, the Lord gave to me and the Lord took it away. But in the midst of it all, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's worship. When you lose your family, when you lose your income, when you lose your house, when you lose your car, when you lose your friend, when you lose your health, and you can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm telling you, you have learned how to worship. You have learned how to worship. Job worshipped in, worshipped in the middle of all of this because he understood that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. And my question to you is, can you worship when you're wet? Can you worship when you're wet? Can you worship in the middle of the storm and say, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah? Can you dance when all hell is broken loose? Can you lift up a hand and rejoice when the hounds of hell are snipping at your heel? Can you worship when it's wet? Or do you reserve your worship for the sunshine? Sunshiny day. You see, the house of God is filled with a bunch of sunshine worshipers. Filled with a lot of sunshine worshipers. But as soon as the clouds roll by, God's not worthy of our praise. God's not worthy of our worship. And we forget through this whole that we get we forget through this whole thing that God is taking us through that he's only taking it through us to make us more like him it's taking us through it to make us more like him to teach us what worship is all about listen can you worship when you're in the fiery furnace like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego 
Can you worship like Daniel in the lion's den? When hundreds of lions were gathered around trying to devour him, can you worship, church? Can you worship like Paul and Silas, like I talked about last week, who was locked up in a deep, dark prison cell, facing execution the next morning? I don't think any of us have been there. I don't think any of us have been to the place where Paul and Silas was, where they were facing certain execution the next morning, and yet they worshiped God. Why? They weren't focused on the chains. They weren't focused on the prison bars. They weren't focused on the darkness. They weren't focused on the guard that was standing there keeping watch over them. You know who they were focused on? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were focused on Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, who's going to fight this war that they're in. They were focused on the sovereign God, and they had yielded themselves to the fact that if God takes me today, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. They focused on God, and no matter what situation they were in, that's what true worship is all about. Go ahead and put on the music, because I'm going to bring this to a close. When you are focused on God... When you recognize God, you cannot help but worship, church. When you are focused on the one who put that breath of life inside this pile of dirt. You know, the reality is, <clears throat> if you broke down, I still got just a couple minutes. But if you broke down your entire body and put it on the market as far as the minerals and the water and everything is involved... You're probably worth about $3.89. $3.89. That's what a bag of topsoil costs. And that's all we are. We're a bag of topsoil that God breathed his life into. And listen to me. When you recognize the one who breathed that life into a pile of dirt... When you recognize the one who, who brought down his holy head from heaven and he put his lips to a pile of dirt and he blew life into it. Woo! You listen to me. I, I'm not faking this. I don't want to try to pump you up. But when you recognize God, something happens in the soil of your soul. If you're having trouble worship, get your eyes on God. If you're having trouble rejoicing, if you're, if you're having trouble dancing, if you're having trouble just thanking God and worshiping God in every area of your life, just get your focus on God. Start recognizing His glory and His might and His power in every area of life, and you are going to worship. I'll close with this. The other definition of worship, it's a Saxon word. That comes from the word worthship. One word, worthship. It means to magnify his worthiness. It means to magnify means to make bigger and bring closer. So I want you to understand what he's saying. David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, what David was calling you and me to do was to worship. He was calling you and me to make God bigger in our life. He was calling you and me to bring God closer to our life. The only reason we can't worship is because God is afar off. 
The only reason we can't worship is because we don't see a big God. The only reason we don't worship is because we think God is smaller than we are, and we look at ourselves like grasshoppers, like the children of Israel did when, when they were not that. So what you and I need to understand, church, is that magnify, worship means to magnify His worthiness. Worthiness of glory, worthiness of honor, worthiness of power, worthiness of dominion. You can add in whatever word you want. But to worship God means to magnify His worthiness of your complete obedience, your complete sacrifice. Worth, he, he's Magnify the worthiness of your faith and your praise and your trust and your hope and everything in Him. And when you do, church, you have learned to worship. How many of you want to be a true worshiper? How many of you want to worship God in spirit and in truth? Amen. If you can, I want you to stand to your feet tonight. Because next week, that's what we're going to talk on. I'm probably going to close out next week on the, the discipline of worship with what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. But tonight, you standing to your feet, you are saying, God, I want to magnify you. I want to make you bigger in every area of my life. I want to bring you closer to every area of my life. And I want more than my words to worship you. I want my life to worship you. If that's your prayer, then that's what we're praying tonight. And pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father God, for the revelation and the truth and the direction that you have given us through your Holy Spirit this evening as to what it means to worship. God, so often we have this limited concept of what worship is. It, it, we have this, this sense that we can roll out of bed Sunday morning and come to church or put on a suit and come to church and sing a few songs and pay, pay a little bit of money in a, in a, in a pan and, and go our way and we've worshiped. God, I pray that you would teach us and help us to worship you with our entire life. God, that we would worship you at home, that we would worship you in our marriage and in our finances and in our family, that we would worship you, God, in the workplace, that we would worship you by recognizing you and responding accordingly. So, God, it's my prayer for your people that when they're in the middle of a storm, they would recognize you walking on the sea. That when they're in a fiery furnace, they would recognize you. That when they're in a lion's den, they would recognize you. When they're in the middle of a heated battle at home, they would recognize you. I pray, God, that we're in the midst of temptation that is about to overtake them, that they would recognize you as their Savior and their only way out. God, when we're about to throw in the towel, I pray that we would recognize you. When we feel all alone, God, and lost in the wilderness like Hagar, I pray that we would recognize El Roi, the God who sees, and understand that we are never alone, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. God, I pray that you would help us to recognize you like, Eli like Isaiah did when the heavens opened in the year King Uzziah died. And he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord exalted. He saw his train fill the temple. Help us to respond and worship like Isaiah did. When he saw you, he said, Woe unto me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord. I pray that you would let us see you so we can worship you. See you so we can trust you. See you so we can praise you. Open up our eyes, God, to see who you are. 
so we can respond appropriately. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord, church? Amen. Amen. God's worthy of our praise. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you this week, I want you to worship with your life so that when you come back on Sunday morning, you all might not be able to be here, but wherever you go, my challenge is that you bring something of worth, that you magnify the Lord tonight, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. God bless you as you go. Praise the Lord. If you have a special need, I'll tarry and pray with you. Otherwise, be blessed and be a worshiper.